Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. All right, we have reached the conclusion of Unleashed, the Kingdom Unleashed, a study on the book of Acts. It's, it's kind of bittersweet for me. I've really enjoyed it. It's been one of the longest series that we've ever gone through as a church family. But uh, have you ever had like a mindset shift in your life? You know, like where you just had this really like hard, fast set idea and then something happened, you know, maybe you just grew up or you met somebody, they opened your eyes at another idea and then you completely changed your mindset. Uh, I've shared with some of you guys before, one of mine is like when I was younger, um, I didn't think that I liked steak. I didn't like steak at all. And then as I went and experienced other people, I realized that my family always ate it well done. And that, you know, you're breaking out teeth trying to chew a steak, that makes it kind of, you know, I'm sorry if you like well done steaks. Jesus loves you too. I I think, think, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, But now, you know, I eat a steak like pretty rare. You know, I like, I can, I'm not a total snob. I can do medium. You know, I can do whatever, you know, somebody makes for me. If somebody wants to cook a steak for me, I'm all about it. But, you know, I had that mindset shift where it's just like, I didn't think steak was good until I had it prepared differently. And then, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things like that in life where, it's like, hey, I, I think this one certain way, and I'm like absolutely right, and then something happens to totally flip it on its head. Well, that's not just you know unique to you. It's not just unique to me. Everybody, and actually the whole culture, can have mindset shifts. And sometimes it's a really good thing. Sometimes it's not a great thing. But sometimes it's really good. Uh, did you know that in the uh, 1700s, as late as the 1700s, a lot of people thought tomatoes were deadly poisonous? Because they're part of the nightshade family, and they were thought, you can't have them, and then people like started trying them. But you think about this as well. There was a time when somebody said, oh, look at that oyster. I'm going to eat it. You know? I, I love oysters, but that, the first person did that was pretty brave, right? Or look at that little devil crab, a lobster, and said, I'm going to crack that thing open. You know, there, I mean, there's all these things. All these things that people said, I'm going to be the first one. People thought it was crazy before. Did you know that until about the um, mid-1800s, 1847-ish, doctors, not just the general population, but doctors didn't understand germs until like 1847. And people would go and work on cadavers and doing autopsies and studying the human body straight to delivering babies. And they didn't understand why the doctors who did that, who didn't clean their hands, which hardly any of them did, but they would go straight from the dead bodies to delivering babies. They didn't understand why they had such a high infant mortality rate, and even the mothers were dying. Until one guy, Frederick Zimmelweis, was one doctor who was brave enough to say, you've got to clean your hands. And I mean, they were like, you're an idiot. I mean, really, all these doctors, they blackballed him. They, I mean, they, called, they put him in an insane asylum, I believe, for a little while until finally they started realizing he was right. Mindset shifts can be a really powerful thing. You're just adamant that you're right. So what can transform us? What can cause a mindset shift in us? What can cause a mindset shift in us that takes us from being simply a church to being the kingdom unleashed. 
That's the question I want to answer. I, I hope and pray that we're already on that path. But what takes us from just sort of doing some really good things to doing great things for God's kingdom? What takes us from being like kind of like a, a dog on a chain, you know, to being an a, a, a animal unleashed for God, just going about with energy and passion and zeal, reaching other people? I would say this. It starts with you. It starts with you and me. It starts with each of us individually. It doesn't, and here's why I say that, because most of us in any organization, not just in the church, but in any organization, most of us don't want to be the person who's out front leading the charge. Am I right? You know, there's a few people who have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. You know, maybe some of you are that way where it's like, hey, I want to be the one. I'm going to be out front. And I'm going to go ahead and, you know, uh, I go bungee jumping. I'm like going to jump. I'm not even going to make sure that the, the cord's attached. You know, I'm just that far out there. I would tell you to check, make sure it's attached. I, want, I don't know if they'll refund half your money because you don't come back up. You just go down. I don't know. But a few of y'all, okay, a few of y'all are still awake. That turkey's still weighing on y'all. Um, but, you know, you're out there. But a lot of us aren't that way. A lot of people are like, I'm going to wait and see if somebody else is going to go and sort of make that leap. But you know what? We'll never become the kingdom unleashed if one of us or two of us, or I'd say actually all of us, Start being that kind of person who's saying, I'm going to be the person who has a mindset shift. If we all wait for somebody else to go first, nobody's ever going to go first. And I'm trying my best to be out there and be first. And, uh, you know, I, some people look at me like I'm crazy for coming and moving my family and, and helping start this church. It's so cool. Mac and Diane are here today visiting. And they were part of the initial uh, impetus and just part of the engine that got movement started several years ago. And they were here with us until they uh, retired, 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 retired again, right? You were supposed to be retired when they came to start a church. Now, that's crazy, right? But they helped us. And, and it's so cool that they were those people who are like, hey, we're going to be the kingdom unleashed, and they're still serving where they are, and they're not truly retired, because you never retire from being a part of the kingdom. So who's going to be the one? You see, I believe the real linchpin for us being the kingdom unleashed is you and me. It's got to be starting with us. It's something big. Something major has to happen in all of our lives individually if it's ever going to happen as a church whole, as a body of believers. If it's ever going to be something that's going to take over and really make a difference, it's got to start with each of us. And I really believe this. I believe if we're going to be the kingdom unleashed, then we've got to first be kingdom-minded. We've got to be kingdom-minded. We've got to start looking at things differently than everybody else. I mean, one of the first things, and this is not part of my original thought to share with you, but I think this is, is vital, this is valuable. One of the best things you can do is turn off TV, social media, and the news. If you turn that stuff off, you won't think that everything's as bleak as you thought. Because sometimes we think the world's so bleak and so messed up and so screwed up, then why, why do we even try Right? You ever been there? Why do we even try? But it's not as bad. Now, it's bad. I'm not going to lie. It's bad. 
But there's hope as long as we've got breath in our lungs, as long as the church is still alive. And so if we would just stop and say, we're going to see what God wants to do through us and in us. So as we close out this series, looking at the book of Acts and looking at what it means to be the kingdom unleashed, there's some mindset shifts I believe that we see in the apostle Paul that I think have to take place in us if we're going to be truly the kingdom unleashed. Now, for the most part, we've been going through uh, a chapter, sometimes a week, and sometimes every, you know, once over two-week time, but today we're covering a lot of chapters in just a short time. We've already touched on some of these chapters, but a lot of this last part of the book of Acts is just narrative about Paul uh, going from one place to the next, going until he gets to Rome. That's his goal, is to go to Rome. He wants to be able to testify in the capital city of what was really, truly the world, not just of Rome, but, I mean, uh, yeah, of the empire of Rome, but he wanted to be in the capital telling people about Jesus. And so we're going to just hit one highlight here and look and read what the Apostle Paul shares from the book of Acts. Now, these last several chapters, uh, Chronicles' his journey to Rome, his desire to get there. The Jews are out to kill him, right? The Jews are out to kill him. They want to destroy him. They want to uh, make sure that he is silenced. They don't want anybody to be hearing about this Jesus guy. He's caused too many problems. The Romans, believe it or not, are trying to keep him alive. They're trying to protect him, the different soldiers and centurions and leaders. And it's stated multiple times by different Roman leaders, he would already have been set free if he hadn't said, I want to go and appeal to Caesar. They said there's nothing to hold him, uh, you know, hold him for. He hasn't done any of these things that the Jewish people had accused him of, but he said, I want to go to Caesar, so that's the only reason he's still being held. And meanwhile, he escapes death numerous times, uh, including a shipwreck, including a snake bite. I mean, all these crazy things. And we're going to sum up these final passages of Acts with this section that I believe kind of captures the essence of, of these last few chapters of the book. So Paul goes before Festus. That's a name, right? He's the governor of Judea. So he's the governor of this large area that Jerusalem's a part of. And he's also going before Agrippa, who is also known as Herod Agrippa. You may have heard that before we talked about him, of course, in the book of Acts already. He is the great-grandson of Herod the Great that's in the story of Jesus' birth, if that kind of gives you a little bit of perspective. And with him, he also is going before uh, Bernice, and that is... Not going to go into too much detail. I think we're mostly older in here, but that's his sister, and there's some weird stuff going on. I'll just leave it at that, but it's a weird thing. And so he's going for all three of these, these leaders, and in Acts chapter 26, that's where we're going to launch out of, and then we're going to spend some time in Philippians, but in Acts 26, around verse 19, Paul says that he wasn't disobedient to the call that he received. And what he's talking about is when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and told him that he was going to be his witness and then Ananias clarified it for him. He said, I haven't been disobedient to that vision that I received. I am still here to preach and tell the good news. He was a man on a new mission. Now, if you remember anything about Paul or Saul, if you want to call him that, if you remember anything about him, he was a man on a mission beforehand too, wasn't he? Except his mission was what? To arrest Christians, to destroy the church, the followers of the way, it was called. But now he's a man on a new mission. And it's angered the Jews greatly, as we said. They tried to kill him numerous times. They had all these plots, all these schemes. And he went about preaching salvation to Jews and Gentiles. 
And I love what he says in that little passage there. He says basically this. He said, I did it with the help that comes from God. If I could challenge you to just consider one thing, is are you living a life that requires help from God? The answer is yes, but do you realize it? Are you realizing that the life that you live, if you're going to be on God's mission, that it has to be in such a way need help from God. That's what I want to challenge you to this morning. That's what I want you to really think about. And then he calls out Agrippa. He talks to him directly. And it says in Acts 26, verse 26, if you want to follow along. Scripture's going to be on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bible, of course. Acts 26, verse 26. Paul says, For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Nobody puts the gospel in a corner, right? Some of y'all seen that movie? Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm, I have no sense. Verse 27. <laughs> King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would, would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. It's a really interesting interaction. There's been a lot of debate for, for centuries now about what that really means. What did Agrippa mean when he said, you know, in, in a short time, are you going to convince me? There's some, a few slightly different translations, depending on which translation you read. But I believe that he is. He's like saying, so you're going to convince me. But I think he says that because he's sort of being what? convinced. He's sort of wrestling. He's on the verge of this mindset shift. He's a guy who's caught up in deep sin. I mean, number one, he sort of thinks he's a God as well. He's not quite Caesar, but he thinks he's up there. And so he is like, you know, he thinks he's pretty big stuff. And he's like, you know, yeah, I do know these stories of the prophets. I do know that Jesus is probably who, you know, he said he was. He knew a lot of this stuff. It wasn't done in secret. But he's saying, are you going to convince me? And Paul says, man, I don't just want you. I want everybody who hears to be changed. So this guy was truly on a mission. He went from being on a mission to destroy the church to being a man who went on a mission to deploy the church. He was like, man, I want to get people into the kingdom and I want to send them out. And that's what we want to be about, right? Hmm. Is that what we want to be about? Yes. We want to win people to Jesus and we want to send them out. We want people to be disciples. Because I will tell you, I've studied and I've searched it. There is no place in scripture where we see that there is a different level of following Jesus. There's not the all-in tier A or, and then the tier B, you know, where it's like, I'm just going to give them a little bit. You know, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to die. And unless you watch, you know, Monty Python, you know there's really no such thing as mostly dead or the princess bride either, right? Man, y'all are tough. I can't even get a snicker. Not a snicker. Y'all don't watch any entertainment, do you? Y'all don't watch movies or nothing. Y'all are high and mighty. <laughs> but no, you can't be partly dead, can you? You die to yourself 
and you live for Christ or you're just dead in your sin. You know, you, you have to be completely belonging to God and that's what we want to be a part of is sending people out to be fully formed disciples of Jesus. And that's what made Paul dangerous is because he took the same zeal that he had for destroying the church and he actually ramped it up for wanting to deploy the church. He was a man who was sort of possessed with his mission before, but man, if you thought that was something, man, he was on a mission of death. Now he's on a mission of life. And it's a whole lot easier to get excited about life than it is about death. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us, we'd rather be at the birth of a baby than at a funeral, right? And we want to be about life and sharing life. And he was excited. He was passionate about it. He didn't let the fear of his personal cost, what it would cost him, stop him. And so he writes to the church in Philippi. He writes to the church in Philippi that, interestingly enough, was most likely written in the time frame of Acts 28, where he is finally getting to Rome and he's doing his imprisonment there. Most likely during that time frame is when he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in, under house arrest. He's imprisoned so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he says, man, it's been tough. I've been in prison, but there's a good purpose that's coming from it. People are getting to know Jesus. All the guards of the emperor of Rome get to know about Jesus. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice." That, that's just mind-blowing to me. He says, I'm locked up in prison. A lot of people get to hear the gospel. And because I'm in prison, a lot of people are inspired to tell other people about Jesus. Now, some of them are doing it out of pure motives. They want people to know Jesus. And so they're like, Paul's locked up, so I got to go. You know, somebody's got to go, so I'm going to go. But then, oddly enough, there are other people who are just trying to talk more about Jesus. So Paul, being in prison, can get, maybe he's going to get in prison more. Maybe he's going to get beat. Maybe that'll be the end of him. For whatever reason, they are trying to shut down what Paul is doing, but God's using it either way. As long as they're preaching the truth about Jesus, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter their motives. And that's something, boom, that's mind-boggling, mind-blowing. Because now this is for free. I won't charge you for this either. But so many of us will write off all church, all God, all everything because of a hypocrite. And the truth is, is that if the truth of the gospel is being preached, that's the important thing. Hypocritical people are going to sometimes tell the truth. Now, that's what we need to know. We can't write off all of God, all the church, just because some people are hypocrites. Because I'll let you know a secret. Everybody's a hypocrite. Sometimes. 
We all can be hypocritical. We don't have to be a hypocrite in that's who we are, but we all do hypocritical things. Am I right? And so we don't want somebody to judge us because of our one or two or a thousand mistakes. We want grace, and so let's extend it as much as we can. Now, do we hold people accountable? Absolutely. Absolutely. But regardless, back to my point. Come on, come back with me. He's saying the gospel is preached, and that is what is important. So here's the first mindset shift that we see. As long as Jesus gets preached, I'm good. If you can start to change your mind to that, no matter what happens to me in life, as long as Jesus gets preached, I'm good, that can change everything for you. Because how often do you get discouraged by difficulties in life? Every day, somebody said. All the time, very regularly, right? Most of us struggle with going through difficulties. We don't understand what it talks about to consider our trials pure joy, like it says in the book of James. That's foreign to us for the most part. We don't want any part of that. But Paul had this mindset that even if he suffered, all that mattered was Jesus got proclaimed. Even unjust suffering. He didn't deserve to be punished. And even when people are out to hurt him. How many times have you heard of somebody walking away from the church because somebody hurt them? What's one of the most common reasons people say they don't go to church nowadays? Church hurt. And it sucks. I, I mean, I, y'all might not like that word, and I'm trying not to say it a lot, but it's true. I've experienced it. You've probably experienced it. If you haven't, you're probably going to experience it because there are flawed people all around you and you're one of them. And you're going to hurt people and they're going to hurt you, but we cannot give up on the church and we need to say as long as the gospel truth is being preached, I'm not talking about false teaching, but as long as the gospel truth is being preached, we've got to start to develop this attitude. And you know why I think Paul developed that attitude when a lot of us struggle with it? And I talk about this from time to time because I think we all need to hear it. But Paul, I believe, understood that he did not deserve to be saved. He believed with all of his heart that that blinding on the road where Jesus stopped him was his one and only chance at redemption. And when he got that opportunity, he took it. He went into the town. He fasted for three days. He probably prayed, God, save me. Ananias came and delivered the gospel message. And at the moment he could, he was baptized into Jesus. And he did not look back. He did not say, well, I'm pretty daggone good. I've learned a lot. You know, I've got a lot here to offer. Y'all need to serve me. And you better treat me right or I'm going to take my ball and go home. That's what a lot of us do. He didn't say that. He said, I don't deserve to put my little toe into the gates of heaven, so to speak. But I get the opportunity to be saved and have an eternity with Jesus face to face because of his grace. And so if you and I can develop that mindset, then that can help us to say, it doesn't matter what happens. As long as Jesus gets preached, I'm good. You have to remind yourself of these two things. No matter what I'm going through, if I'm trying to be faithful, people get to hear about Jesus. And then other believers are inspired. You never know who's watching when you're going through difficulties. You never know whether it's deserved or not, whether it's you know, your problem because you're dumb, because we all get in those problems, right? 
We get in problems because we're stupid, and <laughs> we do stupid things sometimes. But sometimes you get hurt because of no fault of your own. But regardless, if you keep your eyes on Jesus and keep being the person that God's calling you to be, other people are watching. People can get to know Jesus, and other believers can be inspired. And so we see the next shift here. That first one, as long as Jesus gets preached, I'm good. But here's the next one. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This difficulty he's going through, this imprisonment, and these people stirring things up. Verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So mindset shift two. Because Jesus wins, so do I. And man, if this is one that I could wrap your brain around and just really kind of cram it in there and sort of glue the, the hole shut, I would because that's something I need done. As most of us, we could say when that comes up, because Jesus wins, so do I, amen. But then when it seems like we're losing, what do we think? God, where are you? All hope's lost. Everything's falling apart. Everything's horrible. I, I've been there. I've been there recently. But we need to understand and embrace this truth because Jesus wins, so do I. If you think, if you think your situation is bleak now, you haven't been in a tomb for three days. Jesus was dead, and it all seemed lost, but Jesus won. I really hope and pray that we'll get to see like this sort of video, so to speak. It won't be video. It'll probably be real life reenactment, I guess, so to speak, of what happens uh, when we get to heaven and we get to see Jesus. I cannot wait. I hope there's a live camera feed of Satan's face when Jesus resurrects on that morning. You know, Satan's probably sitting there. You know, I know Satan doesn't know everything. He's not omnipresent. He's not God. But I can almost imagine like Satan, he's like, yeah, he's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Jesus is in the tomb in that early Sunday morning. I, you know, maybe Jesus' toes started to twitch underneath that sheet. You know, he's like, he's like celebrating. He's high-fiving these demons. And one of the demons is like, something just happened. <laughs> he's like, what? No, no, nothing happened, nothing happened. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, he's like, no, I hope we get to see his expression, man. He's like, I've lost. I have been defeated. I am done. Man, I hope we get to see that. that I mean, Jesus wins, y'all. Jesus wins. I mean, if you're in Christ, so do you. When you begin to realize that when you're in Jesus, Life and death is a win-win. If you've got breath in your lungs today, you're winning. And if you're in Christ and you die and take your last breath, you win. You win. And man, I don't want to be apart from my loved ones, but I know that if I'm doing as best I can and I'm pointing them to Jesus, I get to be with him not just for a few years, but for eternity and that, my friends, is a win-win. And you think about this, you know, I don't know if any of you had a, a tough big brother. 
But if you had a tough big brother or big sister and you might have been getting picked on at some time in your childhood, you know, and people are pushing you around and you feel like intimidated, you can't speak up, but then you know your big brother, your big sister's coming up behind you, you're like, yeah, what's up? You know, you get, you get kind of big and tough and bold, you know. My, uh, some of my, my boys' favorite stories of, of their great uncle, um, my, their grandfather's brother, who was just a tough dude. And, like, he, my, my father-in-law was getting bullied when he was a kid, and there's several stories. And so his brother comes riding in, so to speak, on the white horse. And he comes in, and he's just like, back in the day when you could just fight and be done with it. You know, he's like... He's like punching these bullies and throwing them to the side. I know that's not right, but it's cool. But anyway, <laughs> but it gave, it gave my father-in-law a lot of confidence, right? It's like, hey, I, you know, he wasn't still talking junk, but he's like, I don't have to be afraid. And when Jesus has died for you, you don't have to be afraid because the bully of Satan, the bully of death has no power over us if Jesus is our Lord. And we need to be reminded of that. And Paul goes on to say that if he lives, he's going to keep on working for Jesus because more people can get to know Jesus. And if he dies, he gets to be with Jesus. And imagine if you live like that way. If I'm here, I've been here to point people to Jesus. And if I'm there, I'm with Jesus. And the next shift we find beginning in verse 27, read along with me. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of that, <clears throat> excuse me, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Here's mindset number three. Church is a team sport, so invest in others. That might seem weird, but church is a team sport. We all need each other, and we need to invest in one another. You are not alone. That's the first lesson that you can learn. You are not alone. How many of you have ever felt alone in your life? Probably all of us. But if you have the church, if you have Jesus, you're never alone. No matter what the enemy may tell you, you're not alone. And here's the other flip side of that. Others are counting on you too. They're counting on you too. So you get a benefit of you're not alone and there's people there for you to lean on, but you also have to remember that you have people that are leaning on you. You have, they have a need for you. And what he tells them to do is just standing firm in one spirit. Now, that's one heart, one attitude, but that's made possible by the Holy Spirit, right? But we've got to be together, and we've got to have the same mindset, the same heart, and we stand together firm if we spend time with one another. We don't just say that because we think it's cool for people to get together. We think it's cool for people to get together, but that's what the church is supposed to do. If you don't want to feel alone, stop making yourself alone. If you don't want to feel alone, stop making yourself alone. Stop going and hiding behind the curtain and saying, nobody likes me. And I'm not trying to, to, to belittle anybody, 
because I've done that myself. I've been back there and I'm like, I'm going to sit here until they notice that I'm missing. (laughs) So many people, I've done that and you might have done that, but stop, stop. Life is not hide and seek. You know, life with the church is a hide and seek. You have to come together because remember, I've already said, some, you're knuckleheads. I'm knucklehead. We are going to need some help sometimes. So don't hide. Don't run. Go reach out. If you feel neglected, go make somebody else feel welcome because chances are they might feel neglected. And it's your turn. And I guarantee you, you'll get so much more fulfillment out of reaching out than waiting to be reached out to. Your life will be so much better. You'll have so much more joy. So church is a team sport. Standing firm in one spirit, one mind, he says, striving side by side. You cannot be separate and be side by side, can you? You will not have the same mindset if you don't talk over what you need to be having the same mindset about. And so be in one mind. And then he says, this is, this is key. This is easy to miss, but don't miss it. Not frightened by your opponents. I believe this can be physical opponents that are against you for the gospel, and it might be spiritual opponents, the enemy of death, because the enemy is trying to divide. He's trying to separate. He's trying to keep you from getting connected. And so you don't have to be afraid of your opponents when you are together. There is a thing called strength in what? Numbers. It's a whole lot more difficult to beat a bunch of people than it is to beat just one. We need to be together. We need to be united of the same mind, of the same spirit, Here's why it's so important, and a lot of you know this. Suffering in silence is crippling, isn't it? It's crippling. I, I, one of the things I started saying years ago is that when you break relationship, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in church, whether it be in friendships, and you don't, you're not with people, you still communicate. The only problem is, is that you communicate both sides of the conversation. You say both sides. You say what you're thinking and you say what you think everybody else is thinking. And that creates a greater rift because you're making up all these stories of what you think everybody thinks about you. And so you further push yourself away and you don't ever want them to come close because you've already had this conversation. But the truth is it was you talking to yourself. And you've separated more and more and more. And it can be so crippling when you suffer alone in silence because there is some power. And yeah, me too. Hearing somebody else say, yeah, I've been through that. I've, I've gone through that. I'm going through that right now. We need each other. When you're plugged in together, you're powerful. But when you're unplugged, you're not powerful. Simple electricity. I'm not an electrician, but I understand that. If you're plugged in, you're powerful. If you're unplugged, you're not powerful. And so the final shift we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, also a letter that Paul wrote, the final shift 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So the fourth and final mindset I want to share with you this morning is this. I will finish strong. 
You got to develop that mindset. If you don't have it, I will finish strong. I may be beat up. I may be limping as I cross the finish line, but I am going to finish strong. And I will go ahead and tell you that the ability to finish strong happens when we are in our training and when we are going through the reps and we are getting in the miles. It does not happen where you haven't been working at it and at the last leg of the race, you just gut it out. To run the race on Saturday, you've got to have been running on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then running on Sunday too. <laughs> you've got to be building strength. You guys remember Usain Bolt? Usain Bolt, world record sprinter, one of the fastest men to, men to ever live. It's been said about him and many other people like him that he trains for four years to run nine and a half seconds. That's, that's the epitome of what he does. He trains for four years to run nine and a half seconds. And that's what you and I have to say is that when it's time for us to truly run when it counts, it only is successful when we've been training all along in our faith, in our spirit. We've got to keep learning to control ourselves, to, to allow the Holy Spirit to work on us. It says to control yourselves, discipline yourself to finish strong. So if we keep preaching to Jesus, no matter the cost, it doesn't matter what people say or do because the truth is Jesus wins and what? We do too. It doesn't matter. It, it, we understand we're not alone. We have each other. And so we can and will finish strong. You need to tell yourself, I'm not going to let Satan get the best of me. I'm not going to let the circumstances of this life, I'm not going to let my trials and my tribulations beat me down and slow me down and hold me down. I'm going to finish strong. I mentioned from time to time that years ago, I mean years ago, I ran a couple marathons. <laughs> I can't run 26 feet right now, probably. Amen. But, but yeah. <laughs> Unless, unless somebody big is chasing me. And then I'm looking for a car. But two of the coolest experiences that I've ever seen happen in one of those races. Both of them, uh, well, one, one was in Savannah, Georgia, one was in Virginia Beach. And the two really cool experiences happened in Virginia Beach. About a third of the way through the race, they route you through an Army National Guard base. And, you know, you're already starting to, unless you're this world-class athlete, you're already starting to get a little tired. You know, it's been a little quiet for a stretch, and all you got is your thoughts. And, man, you're like, all right, got a long way to go, got a long way to go. And you turn, you make your turn, and you enter into this Army National Guard base, and you go around a corner, and then there's hundreds of soldiers who are standing there in their fatigues. And they're standing there, and they're cheering you on. And you've got your name on your race bib, so they call you by name. And they're like, go, Bobby, go. It's like, woohoo! <laughs> You know, it's like, man, you could run through a wall at this point, you know, because like, I mean, they're all in their uniforms. It's so stinking cool. And I'm like, why don't y'all jerks put them at the end? But anyway, they don't. <laughs> but then at the end, it's in Virginia Beach. And so it finishes right on the ocean and there's a lot of wind. And, you know, this is March, I think. And so it's kind of cold and bitter wind. And you've run 26 miles and you've got 0.2 to go. And that 0.2 can seem like eternity. 
and you're turning and you're getting hit by the wind and you make the last turn to come on the stretch, the straightaway to the home finish line. And like, I'm starting to wonder, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. I literally question it. it your mind will play tricks on you and you're like, I can't go any farther. I literally cannot go any farther. And then you turn that corner and then you start to see this great cloud of witnesses lying in the sideline. And they're cheering, same thing, they read your name, whether they know you or not, and they're like, go, Bobby, go. Man, start kicking, knees come up higher, arms start pumping, and then, here's what's beautiful, here's what's beautiful, is the people that had finished, a lot of them will come back and go back down the last little bit of the race, and literally, Man, it's been a long time ago, but it still hits me right here. Literally, I remember one guy who had finished the race, and I know he was dead tired, but he came back and he said, it's right there. You can finish. And I'm like, man, I sprinted like nobody's business because somebody had been there and they had done that. They had seen it. They had finished the race. And that's why the scripture talks about it in the book of Hebrews about we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, people who have gone before us. They were faithful. You can be faithful. They've gone through maybe way much more than a lot of us will ever face, but you can finish strong. But you'll never do it until we all do it together. And we'll just simply be a church. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that's not all that God intended. He intended for us to be the kingdom unleashed. So today, if you need to get into the race, maybe today is your day. We'd love to talk to you about your faith and about getting to know Jesus and baptizing you into Christ if that's what you're ready for, for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'd love for you to make that decision today. And you can get in the race. And you can be surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses that want to cheer you on. People that are on their way. And they can tell you about people that have been there and done that and finished strong. And then maybe for those of us who have already done that, maybe today is to say, I've got to plug back in. I have been powerless. I have been wasting my time and my energy. I've been thinking about me, not about other people. And it's time today that I get all in this race again. And I am going to finish strong. We will be the kingdom unleashed when we all come together and keep pushing forward. If something's on your heart today, don't leave here without talking. Don't leave here without sharing it because we need each other. I'm going to be off to the side over here and I'd love to talk with you. There are other people that would love to talk with you and pray with you. But let's finish strong. Let's stay on the same. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement MC.